we had uh, we'd skipped over uh, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2. And I promised I'd come back to them, so now we're going to come back to them. And, uh, and this here is the first warning that we come across in the book of Hebrews. And as I said last week, there are five different warnings, and they're all related to the same topic, which is living by faith uh, in some way. And so warning number one now is going to be, do not neglect this salvation. So it begins in verse one, for this reason, or therefore. So in where it is in the writing here, he's already made the case Jesus is better than the prophets because of what Jesus has done. And then he makes the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. If, um, if we had the King James, uh, John, do you still the King James Bible? You didn't bring it this time? Uh, the King James have it uh, the other way around so that salvation doesn't drift by us. But the reality is, it's, this is a better translation, so that we do not drift away from it. Salvation is rock solid. It's not going anywhere. But this idea is that, that we may drift past it. And so the, the picture I want you to imagine is, is you're, you're on a dock or someone's on a dock, and then you have a friend who's in a boat. And, and if that, you, you reach out your hand on the dock to kind of grab your friend to, to, to pull them ashore and they can tie up their boat. And they're, they're easily within reach. They could just reach out their hand, grab you, and you'll pull them ashore. And they just sit there and they stare at you while a very slow current just pushes them by. And what happens is they just drift right by you. They easily could have reached out. They easily could have grabbed you, but they did nothing. And so they drifted by their opportunity. That's what this writer is talking about. That's the warning he's giving these people. See to it that you don't drift away. Pay closer attention to what we've heard. <clears throat> and what have we heard? Well, we've heard about this gospel. We've heard about salvation. We've heard about trusting Jesus. Not just for salvation, but also for life. So um, <clears throat> pay attention to what you heard. So you do not drift away from it. Don't drift past for it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received the just penalty, how much will we, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What is he referring to if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable? What, what is he talking about here? Anyone know? The messages that angels gave to people in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And they gave many messages. But there is one that stood out beyond all the other messages. One that was greater than any other message that an angel gave in the Old Testament. Anyone know what that was? The law was delivered, the law was delivered through angels. They, they were the mediators. That's what it says in Galatians 3. That it was the covenant delivered or mediated through angels. So here the angels, the word spoken through angels, the law, it proved unalterable. And every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. So if you committed adultery, what was the penalty according to the law? Death. If you committed murder, what was the penalty? If you committed adultery, what was the penalty? It was the easiest penal system to memorize. <laughs> Death. What's the penalty? Look it up. Death. Great. <laughs> and I mean, not all the time. I and mean, there are some other ones. But for the most part, it was just death. That was it. You know, 
<clears throat> that was the, the simple punishment for, for almost every, every disobedience. So what he's saying is, if the law of God couldn't be t- uh, dealt with or, or changed, or you couldn't escape it, you couldn't talk your way out of it. If, if that was the, you do this, you get that. If it was simple and clear as that, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If this new covenant is so much greater than the old, and you couldn't escape the old system, what makes you think you can escape the new system? Is what he's getting at. Now, what does that mean then? Well, a big part of what it means is understanding who is he referring to? Who is he talking to? And there are really two groups of people that it could be. One would be the unbeliever. Does that make sense how this would be the unbeliever? Yeah, so if the word, uh, sorry, for this reason, pay much closer attention to what we've heard so we do not drift away from it. Meaning, don't miss out on salvation. Don't ignore this message. <clears throat> for if the word spoken through angels prove unalterable, if the law couldn't be changed, if you neglect salvation, how, how do you think you're going to escape that judgment? Does that make sense? This will be yes for tonight. So, does that make sense? Okay. Good. We're on the same page then. So, so for the unbeliever then, the gift of salvation is available to every unbeliever. But what he's done is he's let this wonderful gift of salvation pass them by. It's drifted past them. God's hand was reaching out saying, grab hold and I will pull you safely ashore. And they just did nothing about it. They just sat there and and just drifted past, drifted by them. In Romans 1.20, it says there is no excuse for any. That even nature declares the glory of God. I mean, I I saw that. I I was sitting at a a beach recently and I was watching the waves come in. And the day before, I got hit by a three-foot wave and it almost knocked me off my feet. And I got a sense there of the power of God. That these little tiny waves, and then I imagine what a tsunami must have been like. And that doesn't even come close to the power of God. When you, when you see, you know, especially this time of year, spring and new life, and you see these dandy, or dandelions, yeah, these flowers, <laughs> uh, daffodils, you see, you see tulips coming, and there's dandelions too. You see the beauty of God. You see His glory being shown there. And so nature testifies so that there are no excuses. And yet they've chosen to let it drift by. Many people have chosen to, instead of worship the Creator, they worship the creation. Many religions are based on that. Even today now, we worship the world. We worship creation more than we worship the Creator. And for those who reject the law of Moses, the result was death. Well, how much more then? What awaits, awaits those who reject Jesus? <clears throat> in, uh, in the book of Revelation, which is one of those easy books to find, in chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, we read about what the end is going to look like, the end of this world. And there's going to be a judgment. And John here writes what he sees. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it. 
from those from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second, de second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Those are some sober thoughts. Those aren't easy to, to think about. Because there's, there's not much hope, if any hope, in that. It breaks my heart. It, it truly breaks my heart to know that there are people who will face that. Because they have chosen to not grab hold of this offer, this gift. Instead, they have let it just sit there as they passed by, as they drifted past, and they did nothing, of, uh, nothing about it. And so the warning is, don't neglect. Pay attention. Grab hold and grab hold of it when? Now. Because you don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. You don't even know if there'll be a later today. So grab hold now. And, and I hope, I hope there's no one in this room that fits this situation. But I almost guarantee you that there's people in your churches that way. That's just the reality of it. There are people in all churches that are in this position. That are showing up on Sundays, but they've let this salvation just drift right past them. And they're in danger of not doing anything about it to miss out. And I hope, I said, and I can't answer that. It's not, not for me to answer. I'm not the one sitting on the throne. That's between you and Jesus. But I hope there's no one here. Well, is there other verses that support this? Turn the page 16. Other passages that support this view, and there are. There's two. <clears throat> uh, one's in Matthew 25, verses 1 to, I'm not sure which one, maybe 12 or so, maybe 11. <clears throat> and then the other one, and that's going to be the parable of the ten virgins. Then there's another passage uh, with the remainder of Matthew, which is the parable of the talents. And, and these two passages, uh, I think, support this idea of what we just talked about for the unbeliever, letting their salvation just drift past them, or as they drift past their salvation. So in the parable of the ten virgins, there are, <clears throat> are ten virgins that have their, their light stands, their, or their, their lamps, and they're going to wait for the groom. And five brought extra oil, and five foolish ones didn't. So the wise ones brought extra oil, the foolish ones didn't. Well, the groom decided to tarry. He took his, took his time. He didn't come very quickly. Do we know anyone that has so far taken his time in coming? Mm -hmm. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. And that's okay. It's his prerogative. I'm not complaining. But any day, I'm happy with it. But he is, he is tarried. He's taken his time. And so you have these five virgins, or ten virgins, five with extra oil, five with not, and they all fall asleep. Until someone wakes up because they hear the groom coming. And they say, quick, quick, 
get ready. And so the five with extra oil, they, they turn up the lamps. The group is coming. Well, the other five, they go to turn up their lamps too, but they realize they're what? Out of oil. So they begin to plead with the other five. Give us oil. Give us your oil. They say, we don't got enough to share. Go back into town and go buy some. Well, they rush back into town. They go buy some and come back, but it's too late. It's too late for them. And so it ends up happening. So we have the foolish versions. They didn't take any extra oil. And that's similar to letting their salvation drift them by. They didn't take it seriously. Maybe there was an initial thought about it, but it wasn't an ongoing thing. It didn't last. It was a temporary thing. And so when the day came, the second coming of Jesus, it was too late for them. In that day of judgment, it will be too late. They will already have drifted past their salvation and be out to sea. And so what he says to them, the groom, he says, be gone. I do not know you. And so those five virgins that lost, that ran out of oil, he says, I don't know you. In another place in Matthew, he says to people who declared, Lord, Lord, I did all these miracles and wonders in your name. He says, depart from me for I never knew you. These people are not saved and they're cast out. The good news for the other five is they are accepted. Well, what about the parable of the talents? These are the talents where, where the master goes and he gives five talents to one man, two talents to another, and then one to a third man. Now, in understanding the, the parable of talents, talents are not talents. Meaning talents are not your ability for your, no, for your tongue to touch, touch your nose, for the ability to stand on your head, or the ability to dance the Macarena properly. Those are not the talents that it's talking about. Uh, talents in the Bible are coins, they're money, they're currency. And so he gave to some five talents, $500 or whatever the, the amount of money is, to some two, to some to one, one. And he's distributing them. I think the talents are their fa- is faith. <clears throat> How much faith did the person have? Well, the one with five, he went out and he trusted, he spent his faith and he got five more back. So instead of only having five talents, he has how many now? Ten. The man with two, he did the same thing. <clears throat> he went and invested it. He trusted in Jesus. He put his faith in, into action, and he came back with two more. He now has four. But what did the one with one talent do? He buried it. And so then the master came, and it's time to settle the debts. And the guy with five, he came back, says, you gave me five, I now bring you ten. The guy who had two, I got two more, I give you four. And the one with one, he says, well, I only had one. Because I knew you to be a mean and cruel master who reaps where he does not sow. What does that tell you about the mindset that this man had of Jesus, his master? He didn't know him. He thought Jesus was a mean and cruel man who reaps where he does not sow. That's not Jesus. This third guy took his faith and didn't put it in God. He buried it. And so that was his action of letting salvation drift by because he never knew the master. And so for the unbeliever, what ends up happening is he takes away whatever he had from that one man, and he gave it to the others. He gave it to the guy with the five talents. 
And so for the unbeliever, even what he does have will be taken away and given to the believer until the believer will be given more. Great news for us, but also terrible news for them, which you can't help but be torn. Be, um, be broken up over, I think. Because there's a seriousness of it. We're talking life and death here. Hence the warning, I think, is, is powerful that the author of Hebrews is giving to these people. But I guess the question is, is this warning aimed at unbelievers? Remember his audience. Who is he writing to? Is he writing to unbelievers? No. no. He's writing to Christians. Now, like I said, if <clears throat> you know he if someone we receive this letter today, we would read this letter to our churches. And like I said, in every church there is going to be a, probably a, a number of unbelievers. And so maybe that warning is aimed at the one or two people in the church that aren't Christians. But I don't think that's what really this warning is for. It could be. And, and if that's what you believe, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I think that there is another part of the warning. See, verses 3 and 4 says, After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. These people have experienced salvation. They've heard it, they've seen it confirmed. They've even experienced now the miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Does that describe a believer or an unbeliever? To a believer. So who does that mean this warning is for? Specifically, and now, for you and me. And it's a warning. It's a caution. It's a pay attention. Watch out for this pothole or sharp turn. And if you don't heed the warning, you could fall off the cliff or fall into the pothole. So what does it mean for you and I if this warning is for believers? Well, you notice the danger is not rejecting salvation, but neglecting it. You see, if it was really aimed at unbelievers, I think you would see it as, do not reject this salvation, because that's what they've done. If they're passing by, they are passively rejecting it. By not laying hold of Jesus, not laying hold of Him as your Savior, you are, you are passively rejecting this salvation. But that's not the warning. The warning is, do not neglect this salvation. So they have it, and then they've just kind of put it on the shelf and it's just sitting there collecting dust and really it's not what they're neglecting as much as a who they're neglecting I liked how one per person put it one time he says many Christians have put Jesus in the unemployment line Jesus has come to live in and through it, through you 
And what they've done by trusting in their own strength, by trusting in their own abilities, they've put Jesus out of work. And they've put him on the shelf. And every so often they'll go to him, right? You know, when, when things are in, in a lot of trouble. And we hear those testimonies, right? So I was in trouble, and then I went and I started to trust in Jesus. I finally had to trust in Jesus. I had no one else, nowhere else to go. Well, what were you doing before then? Where were you going before then? You were going everywhere else because you had been neglecting this salvation. That's when, that's when we go to church. Then, then I pray and I, I make deals with God. Yeah. If you do this, God, I promise I'll go to two churches. <laughs> that's right. I'll go to the Baptist and the Mennonite and the Pentecostal just to cover my bases. That's right. Um, so he's warning them against putting Jesus on the shelf until they're in trouble or until we die and face judgment. You know, I've got him in my back pocket as insurance. But in the meantime, I'm just doing my own thing. And the one is, don't neglect this salvation. So the, the warning that he's trying to get us to do is to continue to trust Jesus to live today. Jesus is better, so live by faith. Now, today, even after you're saved. Well, what would, what would drifting look like then? What would it look like in our, in our lives to help us try to understand it? Can I keep going? Well, I think at worst, it would look like this. It looks like a train wreck. I don't know what this car did to get up there. Um... But I'm sure it did something it wasn't supposed to. And at, at worst, if we're trusting in our, our own self, we're trusting in our own efforts, what we will do is we will express ugly-looking flesh. It will hurt people. It will reject others. We will leave in our wake a, uh, a disaster zone where people are chewed up and spit out by us, by us. And we hurt others, we reject others, we may even hurt ourselves. And it's just, it, it looks like a train wreck. And there are Christians that have this as their life. And the reason is because they've neglected their salvation. Now, there are many reasons why they neglected it. Maybe they didn't know, or maybe they, they chose not to. There's, there's many reasons. But the reality is they've neglected it, and it's been disastrous. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario of neglecting your salvation looks like a wilderness. There's no life here. And so... This would be the person who at best has good-looking flesh. On the surface appears to be kind, supportive, happy, successful, but still doing it in their own strength. And no matter how good-looking your flesh is, Jesus in John 6, 63 makes it clear that flesh profits nothing. The flesh has no value. 
It can't accomplish anything. And so at best, your life will be a wilderness. You'll have no real fruit. You may try to hang a plastic apple off of it, but there's still no life in it. And to me, I think this is a far worse place to be than the train wreck. When you had the train wreck, you realize there's a problem. I mean, when, when a car is hanging off the front of the train, you know something isn't right. But sometimes when we get into this, we don't recognize how bad off we are. We don't see it for what it is. I, uh, I want to share a letter with you. A, a friend of mine, he wrote this to his church. And, um, and it was about their drifting and their neglecting their salvation. Let me read it to you. He says, To my dear brothers, I'm writing to you because I want you to know that your dedication and hard work for God has not gone unnoticed. For I know how you have given yourselves in service with various programs for many different people, both within and outside your church. And when most people would have given up, you pressed forward. Not only have I noticed your hard work, but I also know of your determination to teach from the Scriptures, thereby exposing many weak and error-filled teachers. Some of these have even purposed to sow sin and confusion among you, but you did not listen to them. You even hated the practice of those who perverted grace when they tried to turn something so beautiful into a license to sin. For I hate this practice also. In the last few months, as a result have been very difficult on you as a church family. You've been attacked for your stand for righteousness and faced many disappointments, as things have not gone the way you had hoped in many different areas. And yet, your faith that God is Lord over all has not wavered. I'm so proud of you for this. But I have one complaint. I find only one thing wrong with you. But unfortunately, it is the only thing that matters. For you have forgotten all about me. Sure, you worship my Father and me through songs and try to follow my teachings, but you act as if I am still dead. You try and live for me without ever living from me. And despite all your hard work and effort, if you don't trust me and depend upon me to live through you, then everything you do is worthless. So please, do not neglect me any longer. For I am alive and living in you, wanting to have a living relationship with you as you live from my life. And we face all the struggles of this world together. So return to me, your first love. Remember what it was like when you first heard the gospel and how we would talk and you would share your life with me. Return to that and repent of your professionally polished, independent, godless religion that you thought was Christianity. Repent and return to me before your church, and all your hard work falls into ruin and destruction. Forever your lover and older brother, Jesus. They want to recognize that as a letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation. My friend was Jesus. And he didn't write that to unbelievers. He wrote that to the church, to Christians. Christians who had worked hard for God. 
But they neglected their salvation and were not living from God. They weren't walking in God. And he says, return before it's too late. Before all your hard work is thrown aside. Not their salvation, but what they've accomplished. It's all wood, hay, and stubble, which is burnt up. Well, does Scripture support this point of view? Uh, I think it does. In Romans 6, verses 16 to 23, Paul, after declaring that we've died to sin, and that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace, and for sin shall not be our master, he then asks the question, then should we, you know, should we just go and sin? Does it matter anymore that, you know, if we're under grace, does it matter how we live? And he says, God forbid. Why? Because there remains consequences to sin. There are consequences to every action you do. Both good and bad. And if I go and I sin, there will be ramifications. If I go home and I get drunk before going home and then get into my car and start driving, and I get into an accident, I can't plead, well, I'm forgiven. God's grace. There are consequences to my actions. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 We often quote that verse to the unbeliever. The wages of sin is death. So repent, get saved. And that's true. But in Romans 6.23, who is he speaking to? Christians. The wages of sin is death. It has always been that way. And it will always be that way. And if you've ever wondered what death means... Think about a time when you've sinned. How did you feel afterwards? Not so good. Miserable. Empty. That's what death looks like. So there are consequences to our actions still. And if we don't, if we don't take hold of this salvation, if we continue to neglect it, this is what we will experience. At best, at worst, a train wreck. At best, a wilderness. Romans 8, 12 to 13, he says, if you're living by the flesh, you're going to experience death. Then you should die. It's good. Because it teaches you to not live that way anymore. And then Galatians 6 and 7 to 9, it talks about reaping what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh destruction. Make no mistake. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit eternal life, the life of Christ. So don't neglect your salvation. Sow to the Spirit. Turn to Jesus. Live by faith in Him. When? Always. Always. Now. Continually. There is, there is a passage that I don't know where, it, I know it sounds of words that, that it says, Spirit one day in your courts that have elsewhere. Yeah. Because if we are like putting our eyes in Jesus, like our our, our heart is happy and we are yeah. filled and we are completed but if we just drift it away then Yeah. W what do we profit if we gain the world but we lose our soul? Somewhere it said that. I'm glad I can use that now. Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. I don't know where but somewhere. What does man profit if he gains the world but he loses his soul? 
What do we gain if we work so hard in our own effort and accomplish everything you ever wanted and imagined to, only to discover that it's all burnt up? That it all disappears? That to me would be a greater tragedy. Because you've wasted this opportunity. And like I said, what happens here matters in eternity. I don't know, under, I don't understand it fully, but what happened here does matter in eternity. And so what he's saying to these group of Christians, what you're going through matters. It's important. There's, there's, there's a reason for it. So trust Jesus. He's better. And the dividends are great. So don't let this salvation drift past you. Don't say, well, I believed in Christ last week, last month, last year, and now I'm just going to put it on the shelf and I'll deal with it on Judgment Day. I'll deal with it later. Don't waste that time. Um, there's, a, there's a good quote if you turn the page, 17. The quote I want to share with you from a, a man named Ray Stedman. Um, Ray Stedman is a, or was a, a pastor um, down in the States somewhere. I don't know, somewhere. And... Um, and I would encourage you to, to, you know, find out some of what he had to say. Ray Stedman was a great, um, a great preacher who really understood the new covenant and understood our union with Christ and Christ living in us. And this is what he had to say about, about this passage here in Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. He says, This convinces me that the writer of this letter, whoever he was, was a preacher. There is nothing more heartbreaking than preaching to people week after week and to see certain ones constantly exposed to truth that you know could change their lives, set them free, transform their very existence, and bring them out into a realm of experience they hardly believe existed. You know this, and yet nothing is more heartbreaking than to see them week after week lose the whole effect of this, simply because... They do not pay attention. This is why Jesus said again and again to the people of his day, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is not too often we're able to hear truths like these, truths that go to the heart of life. But, to, uh, but he that has ears to hear, let him hear. To the Christian, the writer is saying, It is not enough that we know Jesus Christ. We must use him. We can lose so much even knowing Him unless there is a day-by-day walk with Him. We lose peace and freedom and joy and achievement. We are subjected to temptation, frustration, bewilderment, bafflement, and barrenness without Him. Use Him. Put Him to work. He doesn't need to collect the EI anymore. Put Him to work. Use Him. Trust in Him. Jesus is better. And so walk with Him. Trust Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are You are God. And that Your Son came as a man greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, to reveal you, to show us who you are, 
Show us your character, your nature, your love in order to bring about this incredible salvation that we might be returned to what you intended. To sit at your right hand. And may we not neglect this salvation. May we not let it drift by, but lay hold of it to walk with you and experience life as you intend. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.